The Money Show. Other people's money. Welcome back to The Money Show. You're with Mateo Kharipe here. Now we get into other people's money. Of course, we're speaking to Katleko Mapai. He's the CEO of Yoko Technologies. Now, if you've gone to the farmer's market or, you know, went to a local fish and chips, you'll notice that, you know, when you pay uh, for any of those services, they'll hand you a small device, a powder blue one that you can, you know, finish the transaction with. Very easy, quick to use, and you leave the store. Well, that was the solution that Gatlejo Mapai and three others came up with when they started uh, Yoko, making it easier for small businesses uh, to finish off transactions with their clients. He joins us today and we get his attitudes on money. We get to pick his pockets, if you like, and find out what he thinks about money and how he's built his particular career. Uh, Gatlejo, welcome again to Other People's Money on The Money Show. Hi, very happy to be here. Evening to all your listeners. I think the first question I have to ask is, do you still carry around uh, cash? No, not at all. <laughs> um, it's uh, very much uh, Apple Pay um, and you know, maybe I'll keep a card here and there, but Apple Pay has been a fantastic solution and can almost pretty much use it everywhere now. I guess it's easy to, to be convinced to, to use fintech and, and use plastic money, if you like, uh, to do your transactions when you're in the space, right? Cause you, you know how it works. <laughs> yeah, no, I suppose, I suppose so. Um, but you know, still, I think just, uh, just seeing the wide availability, uh, even at the smallest locations, uh, continues to amaze me, right? This wasn't the case. Uh, a few years ago and now it's really become an expectation and I think that's lovely. Alright, well, let's track back to a time when we didn't have, uh, you know, fintech and the ease of doing business through uh, payments. Uh, a time when you were growing up uh, as a little boy. Just take us through where you're from and your first encounters with money. <clears throat> yeah, so I had a quite an eclectic uh, childhood. I was Born in Soweto, uh, 83. Uh, both my parents are from Pretoria, so those are my roots. And then, you know, 85, uh, 86, we moved to Cape Town, spent a little bit of time there. And then we moved to the U.S. in 88. So uh, we were uh, in Cambridge, Princeton, uh, spent two years there, then came back to Cape Town, uh, early 90s, uh, spent a few more years, and then... Uh, I moved to Palo Alto uh, in California, which is about 45 minutes away from San Francisco, mid-90s, and then came back. Uh, I went to high school in Pretoria and then started uh, university in Cape Town. So, yeah, as you can hear, I've moved around a lot. A lot of currency and, changes uh, during that the, time. <laughs> yeah, lots of currency changes. And uh, I think when you ask about my earliest memory of, of money, you know, we're a family of four. So I have two older brothers, one younger sister, um, who's, who's mentally and physically disabled. So, you know, she, she, she's always needed support, but, and, you know, my parents, uh, were, you know, on academic, uh, salaries. So, so nothing fancy. And yet, you know, we were still able to, you know, uh, travel, move around, you know, be together as a family through all these experiences. And that was all because the folks prioritized these things over luxuries. And I really thought about this question and I was like, you know, actually that's my earliest memory of money was that there was just nothing superfluous in, in the house. 
uh, we, we only did things that we needed. And, you know, these, these life experiences were prioritized. And I'm eternally grateful for that because everything that I've been able to do, this building this company and, and, and the journey was very much shaped, um, by these life experiences, which were prioritized over luxury. And, you know, was this a money conversation around the dinner table or was just your observation of how money moved around in the home? It's actually just an observation, uh, but also just an experience, right? So you're a kid, you want this toy, you want uh, this thing, you want this flashy stuff. And the answer was pretty much always no, right? And from from time to time, uh, you got a yes. And that was a very special moment. But it was very clear um, in, in the household that, you know, uh, luxuries, things that we didn't need um, were completely deprioritized. And uh, my my appreciation of that is that it just stripped out any any sense of entitlement from a young age, and I'm, yeah, I'm grateful yeah. for that. And you know, as you, as you grew up, did this also build uh, the character and the sort of man that you are today? I mean, are you still as simple as, as simple as you were growing up? I mean, you didn't, um, you know, go into the extra luxur- luxurious stuff, and you just kept to just what you needed. Absolutely, and. It- you know, I'm turning 40 uh, later this year, so it's quite a age milestone uh, for me. And for sure, like I, I have noticed that um, uh, I do appreciate the simple, um, and I don't like flashy things. I I, I try and lead a simple life. Uh, I try and prioritize the right experiences with my partner, um, and yeah, just. Uh, not spending money on the superfluous or uh, even just trying to, uh, or moving away from getting a sense of, you know, uh, having, you know, value from material things. Um, these, these are things that definitely came from home and yeah, have just generally made my life a lot easier. So you start to make your own way then and become your own man. You, you start getting into studies and your first job. Uh, what's the first thing that you bought with, with your first paycheck? <laughs> so it's interesting. Um, maybe just, uh, dialing back a little bit on the first job experience because it was quite fascinating. So I, um, got a, got a, a bursary from, from PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, and there was something my, my old man pushed me to do. And I'm eternally grateful for that. Not because of uh, necessarily just the, 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 the money that I received to go study, but the fact that that introduced me to a company so early in my, in my career. Yeah. Oh, sorry, in my life. And basically, um, I started interning at PWC in my first year. And that first internship went so well that that became, um, you know, all my summers and my holidays for the rest of university. Uh, literally, I would, you know, pack up, leave, get on a plane, go to, uh, go back home, uh, to Gauteng. And almost the next day, I would start my internship. And, you know, I was literally working throughout university and getting this experience. And yeah, I think that just really by the time, you know, I finished studying and, 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 you know, was looking to, to kick off my career. I'd had almost a year of work experience, right? If you kind of added it all up, um, uh, by then. So super grateful for that. And I guess getting back to your question around, um, what was the first thing, uh, that I, that I got with my first paycheck? 
I think, I don't know, I, I may have bought like some component for my computer, right? Nothing crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the, the thing was, was that like I, I'd become used to earning money, um, you know, at, uh, at, a, at, a, at a young age. Um, and I guess, yeah, by the time I graduated and, and started the first job, you know, it didn't feel like this, 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 this big crazy thing. I guess that was going to be my next question because most of us uh, get into money mistakes because we have a lot of time to kill. We're going through a lot of entertainment. So when you get your first check, you, you know, buy more rounds that you should for the mates or, you know, you, you get into uh, some sort of debt uh, because you've got time to kill and all that money to spend. But yours, in terms of your varsity years, you were really a working man and you got into the responsibility side of things quite early. So do you remember a time in your life where you felt, ah, oh, that was a money mistake? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Uh, look, I think when you're younger, you, you make a ton of money mistakes, right? Um, and even just getting into the discipline of budgeting and, and, and having a good sense around your money, you know, it takes time and, and eventually you get there. Um, but you know, it's funny. I, um, uh, I, when I think about investments and stuff, I, I got excited about Bitcoin in 2019. Um, when, when, you know, there was really picking up and there was a lot of hype and yes, I, yeah. you know, did a big allocation, but like, I just remember like, you know, buying a, a, a little bit, um, you know, at, at sort of the, 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 the peak of the bubble, then it crashed and then started picking up again and all these things. And yeah, it just reminded me that like, um, just stick to things that you understand. <laughs> <laughs> And let's talk about uh, sticking to things you understand. I mean, what's your own personal, um, you know, investment uh, philosophy or, or the way you manage your money? We know you're at CEO level, but of course, these differ from from person to person. Yeah, I think it's back to this principle of, um, you know, putting money into things that you understand, and even to an extent that you can influence. Um, I think that's always the best use of your time. I think anything else, you're just kind of taking a chance and you're gambling a little bit, right? And uh, sure, you know, it can work out and you can strike a bit of gold. But I think over time, um, it doesn't work out and it's diminishing. And yeah, just this principle of uh, allocating capital to things that make sense to you, that you believe in, um, that you can influence. I believe this is the best way to, to think about investments and, 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 and trying to make money. And let's get into Yoko a little bit. Uh, when you started the business uh, with your mates and you, you came up with a solution that uh, I believe you first saw in the US and you were like, look, we can really roll this out back home and it, 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 it can become a success. How was it trying to put together the, the, the starting capital for that business? It was incredibly hard, incredibly hard. So, you know, the, the venture capital space in South Africa has matured um, uh, a lot more since we started and even across the continent, right? Uh, you saw just some of the deals and the, and the, and the, and the flow of capital into the continent last year was just very exciting, right? We've definitely, you know, hit a, a, a tipping point. But, you know, when we started looking at this, um, it, you know, people thought we were crazy, right? And uh, I remember what, what was quite startling was, you know, we, we needed a license to operate. Um, but in order to get the license, we needed capital. And we had this very strange 
a chicken and egg situation where we needed investors and we needed a license. And um, what we ended up doing was we 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 told investors that. Uh, you know, uh, give us your commitments, but we won't take a cent of your money until we get the license. And that helped to, you know, de-risk the situation uh, quite a bit. But just to put things into perspective, um, we, we, we spoke, um, to, 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 you know, uh, easily over a hundred people. And wow. I remember closing that easily over a hundred people. I think I'm even underestimating it. Um, but I remember. When we closed that, uh, that initial, uh, seed round. And I think we raised, I don't know, maybe it was around $500,000. Um, it sounds like a lot now, but back then the rand was 10 to 1 to the dollar. So it wasn't too bad. Um, and what was fascinating was we got, uh, a lot of people. So, you know, friends and family and, 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 uh, and the like to basically do their first investments into a, into a company, right. In, in some sort of a venture deal. So that was very exciting. Um, you know, getting folks, uh, to, to, to dip their toes into investing into, into private companies, um, into doing venture deals. Um, and you know, those people, uh, allowed us to get going, right. They, they took the biggest risk. And as such, um, they've experienced the biggest payoff, um, in the company over time. And it's really nice to see that, uh, happen and for, for, for people to like get something out of risk that yeah. they took because they backed the team and, and they backed the idea. And what's that pressure like? Um, you know, pitching something to, uh, sometimes complete strangers to put in their money and you're going to deliver the goods. I mean, the delivering of the goods is often a great story in the end, but getting there, you know, making sure that you take care of this money that you got from them and you turn it into something special. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of talk about, you know, how difficult it is to raise money and, you know, it's not easy to get money and, and all of these things. And correct, it's not, and it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, you, you almost need to ask yourself this question. What would it take for you to give somebody money and for you to, t- to invest in, a, in an idea? And by asking that simple question, you really start to understand like what's at stake, right? This idea that, you know, uh, somebody's allocating money to you to, in order to fulfill a, uh, an objective and that there's a ton of risk in that. And I think we, uh, became, uh, very aware of that. Um, and had a deep sense of responsibility around this. And from a very, very early stage, um, we, we ran the company very well from a governance perspective, right? So we were way ahead of our time in terms of how we, we looked at governance, how we formed the board, um, even just down to like when we had our first audit done. It, we just did this way, way ahead of time. But the principle was that, uh, you know, people were trusting us with their money. And um, we needed to do every effort uh, in, in our power to give them the comfort. And this mentality um, has really uh, put us in a good position um, as, a, as a company. Uh, we've been able to raise uh, quite a lot of capital um, to invest in this really important idea of uh, you know, providing access to tools to, to SMEs. Um, but underpinning all of that was just very strong governance, uh, taking this very seriously, um, and really appreciating this idea that people, um, were, uh, allowing us to be custodians of their money. We really understood that. 
And now you had, uh, I think, uh, more than 40,000 merchants that you've, 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 you've rolled out. I'm sure the number keeps growing daily. Um, do you realize that, um, you know, Yoko is going to be, for some generations, their first experience with money, their first purchase is going to be through uh, your innovation? Uh, so uh, the, the number is actually over 300,000 um, that, that we've onboarded uh, since, since we got going in, in late 2015. Um, and it's something that we're very excited about. I think the most important thing about this number is that eight out of the 10 businesses who've come into our platform are taking electronic payments for the first time through our platform. So we, we, we see this as market creation, uh, you know, creating access. This is really what we stand for. And I think to your last point, yes, we're very excited by, um, this idea that we're, heading in this uh, exciting uh, direction of becoming a ubiquitous solution. You know, people recognize the brand. Um, uh, they, they recognize the color. It's becoming a symbol of trust. Um, it's becoming a symbol of growth. It's becoming a symbol of access. And it's also a symbol of connecting um, SMBs, uh, small businesses who, who've been left behind, but are actually, you know, driving this economy, are very active in their community. It's becoming a symbol of them and it's something we're very proud of and we're very happy to work with these businesses and we're very excited about the future. It's still very much the beginning for us. You know, when you look at the traditional banks and being and getting some sort of merchant um, uh, payment system that you, you could get back then, it wasn't as easy. Um, has this become the legacy of the company to look for those businesses in townships and rural areas where the business people are actually doing the great business, but, you know, they're just failing at the payment point? Uh, has, have you made it your mandate uh, to make sure that you help those businesses out? Great question. So. I keep telling uh, people that the most important KPI at, at Yoko is uh, a KPI we call new to card. So the, the percentage of you know businesses that sign up that are are taking uh, you know card payments or electronic payments for the first time, and this is sitting at eighty percent. Um, and it's a number we, we we monitor very carefully. We actually want to see it go higher. And this is a, a very tangible measure of us reaching uh, business owners who previously did not have access. And whether that access is inside the city um, or in a rural area or in the township, it doesn't matter. Um, it's all about the access. And as long as we stay stay true to that and continue to pay attention to that, um, the, 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 the measure of our impact uh, will be clear. If we start losing, you know, a bit of direction and, become obsessed with what the banks are doing and, you know, which customers are getting from the banks. That's not what we're about. And it's just very important that we stay very true to the vision of, of open commerce and, and working with business owners who have not been looked after and, and need solutions and need help. You, you've said you're a very simple man and that's because of your upbringing and you focus on the simple things. But what are those things that you feel are an indulgence and extravagance that you pay just a little extra for? <laughs> I'd say it's two things. Um, so one is travel. I, I spoke earlier about how I just moved around so much as a kid and yeah. you can't get that out of your bones. And it's my education. I, I learn through people, through new contexts, through new environments. And if, 
if I'm not getting that, then I'm not moving forward. So, you know, travel is always just part of the budgets and it will never go away. And um, I'm, I'm very happy to indulge in that. And then I guess the other is, is music. So I'm, I'm starting to build up quite a, an extensive uh, vinyl connection. And it's a pure indulgence, right? Don't need vinyl. Oh, that's priceless. But Look, I, I completely I just love- understand. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's important. I, I keep saying that, uh, you know, if I were to go, um, you know, nobody would have access to my Spotify account and knew what I would listen to. But, you know, just through my records, you know, people would know that this is the music that Katlaho listened to. And, you know, this is who he is as a person. Oh man, that's amazing. And when you look at, you know, the, the, the life that you've had, your career, uh, are there any fears that you still have when it comes to, you know, your, your, your finances, your business? Are there things that you're concerned about, uh, looking into the future or have you built enough of a base to know that, you know, you can pick it up whenever you need to? The base is there. Uh, the, the groundwork has been, uh, laid out. I think, the thing that scares me is um, just losing perspective, right? Or, or losing touch uh, and, you know, uh, just becoming disconnected. Uh, this is the one thing I never want to happen. And uh, back to the topic of travel, being grounded, um, uh, these things are, and, 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 you know, and being connected. Um, these are the things that, I really want to uh, uh, keep focusing on, but you know, as as the organization grows, as the profile grows, all these things, um, it, it's very difficult uh, to to maintain uh, these things, right? There's just all these things putting you in, in a different direction. Um, so I, I pay very close attention to that, and I think it's a very healthy fear to have. And yeah, I just I don't want to lose myself in in in. Um, uh, the organization, you know, uh, being able to fulfill its dreams. And when we look at uh, money in and of itself, I mean, the, those are the things that would drive us away from being grounded. What is enough? How much is enough when it, when it comes to money, according to you? Yeah. So in general, I, um, I, uh, don't think in constraints. Um, or, or, or scarcity. So uh, I think in abundance, um, and this notion that actually we have enough, just period. And also next to that, uh, I think it's important that, uh, money and wealth, uh, is not treated as a scoreboard, right? Or some sort of a measure. Because then that's when, you know, uh, things become uncalibrated, um, and you lose perspective of what you're trying to do. So I think, you know, you, you've got your day to day, you've got your month to month, you want to get money off the table and you want to be able to take uh, uh, care of the things that you need to at home. Yeah. And then there's the building of the building of wealth. Um, and here, once again, I, I try not to think in, in constraints, but it's more how uh, you go about doing these things um, and the mentality and, and, and um, uh, the orientation. And yeah, as long as it's not a scoreboard, like you just keep going. All right, uh, that was uh, the Yoko Technology CEO, Katlechomapai. How much is enough? Well, think in abundance, he said.